and welcome to the Lock In Podcast, a show that lifts the lid on life in the pub trade by those working in it. I'm the morning advertiser, Ed Bennington, and we're recording this episode of the podcast in the fantastic Hook and Cleaver, a corker of a fuller's pub nestled on the side of London's meat market in Smithfield. Not that kind of meat market, Heath. Um, and speaking of meat markets, I'm delighted to be joined by my two consistent co-hosts, Heath Ball and Nicky Thatcher. Heath is an award-winning pub operator and a huge fan of wine. They do say we become like our hobbies, but while fine wine often matures nicely, sadly in Heath's case, this 50-plus-year-old Australian variety is generally considered bitter and disagreeable. <laughs> Not Australian. <laughs> that was the only bit you didn't like from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you disagree. You didn't I don't disagree with the rest no, of it. Nothing else. It's all, it's all fine. Uh, our intern, Nikki, once again joins us on the pod, and not just for her tea-making skills. We're slowly building up her skill set to successful biscuit delivery, but she has to learn to crawl before she can walk. That's such a dead Nikki, we don't appropriate. I mean, we asked for hobnobs. No one likes rich tea. You can shove your biscuit (laughs) where the sun doesn't shine. That's why she hasn't brought any. You wouldn't want hobnobs then if you shove them there, would you? Rich tea would be a bit smoother. What hobnobs? I don't eat eat biscuits. Oh, get out. Liar. Don't. You've never eaten a biscuit. I've eaten biscuits, but like once in a while. So I don't really gravitate like you need. Oh, this is an interesting one. Let's see what he knows. Digestives? Yeah, I know digestives. Rich tea? No. What about Lotus Biscoff? No. Absolute <laughs> top tier they are. No, I didn't yeah. get biscuits. You dip you your tea in custard cream? No. Bourbon? You've you never heard of a bourbon biscuit? Mo- no. Milk? No. no. I, don't, I don't drink tea. You can, you can dip biscuits in coffee. You can eat biscuits without tea oh, yeah. or coffee as well. That's weird. No. No thanks. I mean, I'm with you. I'm not a big biscuit eater, but I know what they are. I can identify I the variety. I don't. I don't know. Penguin? <laughs> yeah, no, you can't dunk a penguin. A penguin. Jaffa cake? No, you don't, yeah, also can't no, dunk a cake. Yeah, it's not the biscuit, though, is it? It's a cake. No, yeah. Pleasing the title. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, moving on. Thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah, yeah. I say thanks. You haven't got the choice. You've got to be here. Let's face it. Um, so, we are going to be following on a little from the last episode, in which we focused on the rising cost pubs were having to pass on. And this time, we're looking at the impact that is going to have on the traditional role in the community that pubs have played. Are community pubs being priced out of the market? To help us discuss that, we've got some great... Great guests joining us, including Chris Jowsey of Admiral Taverns, Steve Alton of the British Innkeepers Institute, the London pub explorer himself, Alistair Von Lyon, Emma Tabard of the Florist Arms in Bethnal Green, Catherine Baum of the Dog and Parrot in Eastwood, and Adrian Emmett of the Lion in Triorkey. But before all that, let's let's have a chat about the week's news. Um, I mean, Heath, how's how's business been? It's cool. I was just saying to Nicky, you wonder why you open on Monday. Well, you know, we have Mondays, but there's no point. There's no one around. Like, it's just, just get went around, look at all the other pubs in Highgate the other day. There's just no one, no one's out. It's just I mean, that's on. standard in January, isn't it? I so. know, but do you know what I mean? Is it worse than it has been, like, if we look at, if you look at pre-COVID, like January 2019? I haven't actually done like for like, I haven't had a look yet. It's just quiet. I just think people, I don't know, I think people, the weather's not helping. Are you doing anything to bring people in? I'm not putting a sign out saying vegan January, I tell you that now. <laughs> we'll come and drink non beer and bore the shit out of us. No, I'm not doing any of that. I said that earlier, we shouldn't even advertise it. We shouldn't engage. We should have the products there. We should have the non-alcoholic beers and we do the vegan stuff, but we don't put signs out. We just go about our business and we do what we do and we do it well, but instead of making people feel like, oh shit, vegan January, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should do that. You no. think you're reinforcing their uh, Yeah, exactly, uh, the rhetoric. Campaigns yeah, fuck them. Promoting it. Don't talk about it. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a jumping. Yeah. 
I mean, you won't attract any dry January drinkers. In Don't want them anyway. <laughs> oh, fuck. Control your drinking all year round. So, mm. so, so here's a good one because um, I, I was reading an article apparently, you know, sort of with younger people falling out of love with alcohol, and it's sort of a global kind of thing. Um, but in Japan, uh, the government has launched a campaign to encourage younger people to drink because they make so much in tax on alcohol, obviously. But, but I mean, but, but the, our, our treasury couldn't could even work that out. That? They're not even that <laughs> smart. Our government to work all that out. Like, could, could you imagine? We'll make money. World Cup made us so much money because everybody was out drinking. Mm, I can't see a link. I mean, could you imagine though the government doing a, a public drink information out film? Yeah, drink out the, <laughs> younger people go out and get pissed. Yeah, but they say this, but I also think that like if you go and ask a young person today, do you drink alcohol? They go, no. Because well, they don't want to... Uh, you, but you're not young. Yeah, they can be young, young, younger people. But I think if you generally, like, if you go around asking young people, they, they just say no because that's the default. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they like, just hide it. Yeah, of course they do. They don't want, they want to be like, yeah, we don't, we don't drink a lot of alcohol, it's bad for you. Meanwhile, they're preloading at home on cheap Prosecco. Smashing the drugs and all that. Yeah, they, but that's something the they do, though. Well, yeah, it's, um, yeah. But it's interesting. I mean, I wouldn't think it's probably cyclical, isn't it? Hopefully this will, will turn on its head and we'll see the, the next generation that comes through be total pissants. Um, I don't know. It's a concern, isn't it? But like for the future of pubs, if we suddenly, we just end up as coffee shops. Well, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And wellness centres, you know? Well, you know? I mean, we will probably be touching on some of that in this uh, I woke jukebox with uh, no music in it because something upsets somebody. <laughs> Can't say that. Field. Now Field's been cancelled. Like, oh my God. It's a minefield. Fuck, oh, I've said it. Shoot me. Oh, no, don't shoot me, please. <laughs> Are you okay? I don't know. I'm gonna, I might happened? have to mute him in a minute. It's, uh, it's just had a moment. Yeah. It's had a moment. Um, good news, though. The economy did not go into recession, which, um, you know... I wonder why you, that was. And, oh, and, we know why uh, it was, but they won't acknowledge it. Well, I was going to say, they, uh, it was on the BBC, they acknowledged it, it was pubs and bars. It's on like the BBC. I know. So, pubs and bars were responsible for us not going into recession in November. You're welcome, government. They don't care. They don't care. They, 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 even if we had one pub left and it saved the whole world, they still wouldn't care. I'm just, I'm, I'm, do you want to take your tin hat off? Uh, no, well, I'm surprised that's the end of the I was going to say, I, I was really waiting. No, but they don't. They don't and I, I haven't been ranting about them long enough, but they, they don't. They just don't care. And it, we all sit there and go, no, they, they wouldn't let this happen. They're letting the energy companies rip us off. They're just letting shit happen, and they don't care about our sector. Look at Scotland. I hate to be a hospitality operator in Scotland. They don't even get relief on their business rates. They're paying full rates. Mm. You were talking about how you were talking about Veganuary earlier. Yes. Yeah. Moving on to a safer topic. Um, Healthy eating trends apparently are helping some operators stay in profit, uh, according to because they're selling uh, at ten by, quid uh, by Luminar. Um, he says he gets handed a massive fat burger. <laughs> 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 nice that you're keeping up those healthy eating habits, eh? Yeah, no, um, supporting the trade. But it's it's good though. I mean, you know, much as you're uh, not wanting to encourage this amongst your customers, you know, smaller smaller portion sizes help with cost control. You know, you haven't got protein on the plate, which is expensive. All these kind of things are, are potentially but, but here's ways the, you can here's, the, here's the rub: decent vegetables cost money. Mm. Sustainably growing proper vegetables from proper farmers cost money. Buying shit that's flown all the way around the world from like some other country isn't really you know, baby steps. 
Yeah, I know, but yeah, you've got to take the positives. Here. Yeah, I know, but we're just kidding ourselves, aren't we? But I mean, it's a fair point. I mean, you would. I mean, you're having to control. Well, you're not having to control costs because you work in Highgate. It's, uh, but are you are you reducing portion sizes or anything like that? Is that uh, I go the other way, Ed. Because <laughs> I, I think when I, when I, well, that's the thing. I look at some of the operators around me, and they've gone and done fifty percent off food, and they've done all these offers and stuff. And I look at that, and I go, man, that's not the signal I want to send. So I'll go and put lobsters on the menu. I go the other way because I think there's a my my clientele up there, and, and even Pub and Sussex, they they don't they don't want to feel like they're being cheapened or they're trying to, you know, like. They, you want to give people an experience and it's like this is our prize this is what we do and, and it generally works in my favour mm. people trust you more you know what I mean like 50% off your food imagine you're charging 20 quid for a burger say you do a tenner and you're giving 20% to the government like what are you left with mm. like, what are you generally left with but that's what I was saying about giving people a reason to come out you by giving them a more a quality product yeah. I guess that gives them a reason to not stay at home to actually go out to enjoy themselves that's what it should be like though mm. As opposed to a, a, a smaller, healthier portion that oh, yeah. isn't no very enjoyable. Wants. Remember Pizza Express when they did the pizzas? I don't know if they still do with, with the salad in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they cut out like, <laughs> so, where's my pizza gone? <laughs> oh, this is only 200 calories. Yeah. But I don't have any food. Mm-hmm. It's basically salad with a, a rim of bread around the uh, edges, which uh, yeah. no one ever I don't likes. know. I think you just got to give people a reason to go out and this be good true. at what you do. You said that last week. Just got to be a good operator. Um and before we go, one of the, the big uh, the big stories uh, was the banning of single-use plastics. Um, I mean, is that going to impact much on your no. business? No. You're not, but think about the pubs that have licensing restrictions, that you're only allowed plastics outside or... You might think you just move to polycarbonate, don't you? Or like... Because so, you, you use it more than once. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It adds costs, though, and, and, and uh, complications, doesn't it? So, Mate, but it saves the planet, so yeah, that's but we're, Well, we're saving the planet, 60 million people. You've got a population of 100 million in some cities in China mm. doing whatever they want. I think we just... We like to feel good like we're trying to save the world, but we're not really. Think of the turtles. Think of the I planet. just find it interesting, because if you pre-COVID, sustainability was such a, a high topic on everybody's agenda. And then once COVID hit, and it was like... We, everyone or a lot of people started doing just single-use menus, for example, a lot of single-use stuff. And now it's kind of gone back to pre-COVID, where it's back sustainability is high again. Mm. It's just interesting. I've said this before. You know what's not sustainable? Mankind on the planet. <laughs> and, and that's the reality. We're not sustainable. The way we, we, we're, like... We don't work on the planet. We work against it, and we're just trashing it all the time. But yet, we're going to stop doing this, and we're going to do this and this because we feel good about ourselves. But we're still up in our Land Rovers and do all that, and driving around town and fly off our holidays to Tenerife and yada 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 yada. It, it, we're a joke. All right, Thanos. Um, um, also, um, you who has more holidays than anyone <laughs> I know. Oh uh, wait, wait! My wellness officer at work said <laughs> that they're, they're called stress breaks. <laughs> Are they uh, environmentally sustainable stress breaks? Eh? How'd you get there? Yeah. Um, yeah. Or is this it? Yeah, like it's. I, uh, yeah, like I won't lie. But if they, they put a carbon tax on us, all we'd be screwed. Yeah, yeah no, would you? Yeah, have to just stick to going to the pub instead of going on hold. So, well, maybe that's a good thing for the British economy again. We lock everybody in again. Yeah, why not? <laughs> you got to stay in country again, <laughs> and then everybody's got like accommodations going. Woohoo! Nine hundred percent increase. Yeah. Well, there you go. Right, uh, let's park that one there, and we shall move on. You're 
listening to the Lock In Podcast and we're focusing on community pubs and the challenges they're facing in this episode. To help us with that, we've got two great guests here. Ali Von Lyon is the London Pub Explorer on Instagram and a champion of the traditional community London boozer, not to mention a top pub tour guide. Uh, so book now, Ali, that was a fiver we agreed for every mansion, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, fair enough. And joining him is Emma Tarmard, GM of one of those community boozers, the Florist Arms in Bethnal Green. So thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you. Sorry to be here. Thanks for having us on. Emma, I mean, you've been in the pub trade most of your life and you come from a long line of publicans in the East End. So maybe we'll start with you. you know, how are you seeing the pub landscape change around you with, with that sort of focus on community pubs? Well, um, growing up, I actually lived above a pub on the other dogs, the Ferry House, in the, um, the late 80s. My mum and dad had it from the early 80s. And most of the pubs back in those days, especially on the Isle of Dogs, um, they were very community vibe. They were all independent. Well, I say independently. They were run by the breweries, but they weren't managed houses. You had you had the landlord who was living on site. Um, over the years of me being in the trade, from starting a working with folks having at the age of 18, and um, been working in pubs, since the age of 18 I have seen it it's become you know pubs are being bought out and they're becoming very much same same uh, managed houses nobody really lives on site anymore upstairs is always rented out so it's sort of lost that that community vibe in a sense where you always know that the landlord's always about and um you know, it's, it's become very much same, same, but different. Pretty much every single pub you walk into now has that same sort of feeling. A lot of the staff behind the bar, they change over very quickly. There's not a lot of continuity between the staff and the customers. Um, that relationship build up between the staff and the customers as well. I find that a lot of it now has become more about the money side of it rather than the actual conversation side of it across the bar, which to me is a very, very important part of, of a pub in the UK. Mm. And, and how is that impacting on how you run your pub? I mean, you, how do you approach it as a, as a sort of... I mean, you're, you're managing a, a, a manager... Well, you're, it's, it's a managed pub, but you're very community-focused. How has the change sort of impacted on you? And what are you doing differently, would you say? Well, luckily enough for us, because where we are independent, um, we, we haven't changed much around here. A lot of the other pubs around us have all changed. Um, the current owner of the, of the Florist Arms, he's had it for about 15 years now. Um, he's always had managers that have come in and, and they've obviously changed hands over the time. But the actual feel of the pub, even, um, even though we're in Bethel Green, we're off a little side street. So I have numerous people that will come into the pub on one day and they go, I mean, I've, only, I've lived here for about eight to ten years. I didn't even know you guys existed because we're not on the main road. I quite like it like that because it means that I know who, who I'm having coming in and we have a really good standing of, of local groups. You know, we have our, our, our general locals, our, our residents, then we have the teachers, we have the off-duty police, and luckily for us, they're all constant rolling in, so they keep us ticking over. We don't really have to rely too much on the passing trade because of the community that we've built within our pub. Um, everybody always always wants to come back to us, you know, so it is. it really is a family, and even the January trade period, period this year for us, um, we've our, our trade amounts have not changed for January. Mm. Really, I mean, we do. We've, the first Friday in January, we did more than some Fridays in November, mm. um, which just shows you the kind of the actual family that we have. And people, even if people don't really want to drink, a lot of the, the neighbours and the locals they come in just to have a chat. 
you know, which to me is is what a pub is really about. You know, somewhere for people to be able to go and offload, and especially if people don't have anybody in their own social circles, friends or family. Their friends and their family are those customers that are customers of their local pub that they also frequent as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ali, let's bring you in now. I mean, the the changing landscape is a key issue for you. When you you've talked about a lot. Um, we would ask Emma to throw our customers out, but apparently they're off-duty police, so we're, we're not going to do that. But, uh, um, I mean, with developments sort of leading wholesale change in the pub sector and, and rising prices, one of the things you're all quite concerned about is that social inclusivity and, and people being unable to afford to, to continue to go back. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I think that's the biggest challenge that the industry is facing at the moment because, and I don't know if Emma would agree with this, but I think, you know, we've seen a massive cultural shift since probably the turn of the millennium for me. And you've really seen the alienization, alienation of a very large uh, percentage of drinkers based on, on economic grounds. And I'm very concerned that we are hurtling towards a, a two-tier drinking landscape where you're either going to have gastro and high-end uh, public houses or spoons and enterprise inns, craft union, because you really, you haven't got a middle ground. I think that's um, you know um, true with the actual types of hostelries as well. Um, Emma touched on it as well. Everything's very identical, uh, whether that's a pub co or even some independents. You go in, everything's grey now. Feels very sanitised. It's very much a case of it's just come out of a catalogue, and a lot of pubs, in my humble opinion, are masquerading as boozers. You know, they claim to be a backstreet East End boozer, but the reality is, it feels to, to this observer that you're in a, a Hilton hotel uh, reception or lobby. It's, it's just that clean. It's that sanitised. Um, it just feels there's a lot of uh, lack of. Um, probably authenticity in, in public houses now and and you know if you look at a lot of East End pubs or even London pubs or even nationally go into your local pub where you've drunk for a long time and I think the biggest indicator of the way it's going now and where it's going to change is if there are bar stalls in that public house because I'm seeing that a lot now and I think personally a lot of operators were rubbing their hands with glee they could stop doing that because certain pubs don't particularly want and I say certain because it's not a generalisation it's just some high encounter where I live they don't want old boys at the bar drinking four pound carling they're courting a, a, a new perhaps out of town or more gentrifying customer base whereas that's not what the essence of a public house is the, the clues in the word surprise surprise public and it really should cater for, for all elements all backgrounds and all economic budgets within society and that's that's disappearing because you've got massive uh, silo existence and yeah i'll name them because emma will know them on bethnal green road there's a pub called the shakespeare it's a proper cockney wet lead pub and opposite that is the Sun Tavern, which is a gentrifier's pub where, you know, prices are probably 40% more expensive than the Shakespeare. And those people, those two different demographics, do not mix. You will never have someone from the Shakespeare go to the Sun and vice versa. There's a lot of distrust with people. A lot of older cockneys do not like, a lot of not all, let's be careful with my terminology, gentrifiers. And also there's distrust or uncertainty about how they'll be received by what we would call old faces of the manor. 
and that creates polarisation, which is just wrong. And you talk about London being multicultural, London being a world city, being exclusive in certain pubs, not all. That's absolutely a fallacy. It just isn't true. I mean, it, it, it's interesting how you were talking about bar stools, and I know Heath, you were having a go at an operator were having bar stools at his bar the other day. So, uh, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was, it was in my defence, right? I walk into my mate's pub, and it's packed, and he's got all the bar stools out on a Friday night. You can, no one can get to the bar, because everyone's just, like, sat up next to each other. There's, no, there's not even a little area that they've dedicated to getting served. So it was a shit fight. So I said to my mate, I said, seriously, man, just rip some of the bar stools out. Make, if you want to serve at the bar, let us get to the bar. And he got upset, and then it all went downhill from there. Um, and we haven't been back, <laughs> you been back you, to that um, pub since. You, you, you cut your cloth accordingly, because the people that I'm talking about and that Emma are talking about are mostly day drinkers. They'll be there at 11 o'clock, and they're gone by half four. Yeah, but you keep, you keep your so, regulars. You have your regulars stalls down there and you know who they're coming in where they're going to sit and then you give half the bar to the people who want to wake up and get drinks makes sense yeah. the thing is as well sorry I'm a call so because I'd say like uh, in, in my pub we've had a big booth put in a big um, Chesterfield sofa put in we used to have bar stalls down the side there as well but now obviously with the positioning of that table the larger table which we got in to utilise as well especially for I mean it was good for us after lockdown and the whole table service only otherwise I would have only been able to have 11 people in my pub if it was no mixed household meat uh, sitting on the same table and my previous capacity was about 120 um, so with us I think also it's all that you have to do is you have to make staff aware is what I will say because people will pick up chairs and they'll move them this is not Ikea this is not your house These you can't be doing Tetris with the tables and the chairs if it's not looking like it's ergonomically viable then my, myself or my staff will turn around and say come on mate but the stalls are there but you're sitting in a position that is really just becoming detrimental to customers coming up and ordering or people that are also sat on their table I think a lot of people as well they come into a pub and they don't often drink in pubs and you can spot them from a mile off you can see the way they order at the bar and you think have you ever even been into a pub before um, and some people just need a little bit of guiding sometimes but I think a lot of staff nowadays as well they're all a lot of them are sort of students and especially working in managed pubs you'll have two or three supervisors that are coming in and out you don't really have like a landlord or a landlady that's that's making a stand to try and you know make sure that there's a continuity no matter what night who's behind the bar it's all it should always be the same the drinks that you get served should always be the same the service that you get served should always be the same in my eyes every time you walk through that door so that's like the bar stalls I can understand but I've always said that I could never work in a pub that don't have bar stalls because what am I going to do if I've only got four people in the pub and they've all sat down on tables well far away from me I've got no one to chat and keep keep ticking me over on my shift and have their laugh and a giggle with you know? if, if you're Heath you're delighted by that because then you'd have to talk to I don't but, want to talk to people, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, con- conscious of time, guys. So just, just sort of one, one last thing. You know, I mean, uh, what do you see as a, a, a is the future for the community boozer? Is there a future for the community boozer, Emma? Maybe you take that one first. 
I think there is, but I think it's something that really needs to protect, be protected because at the moment, as I mean, I, I, I was brought up in a pub, and when we shut down for lockdown, my dad was so shocked that the pub was shut. You know, he was going during the Second World War, we were being bombed, and we pulled down the blackout lines, and we still stayed open. You know, and the UK is renowned for the pub industry. That's what we're known as. It's still not seen as a profession. If I tell people I manage a pub, they say, "Yeah, but what else you do?" And I think, "Well, what else do you think I can do?" Because it's there's not even enough hours in the daytime it's something that we really need to see is almost like a list you know like a listing like a heritage and I think rather than people that are independent pubs they're sort of losing out because at the end of the day they only have themselves to answer for and now you've got the breweries are looking and the breweries have got the money so they're coming they're picking up and they're paying out for, for pubs and licensing and buildings and things like that but you're losing you're actually losing the whole idea of what a pub is you know as Ali said I mean my dad always said you know a pub's for drinking and a restaurant's for eating um, you do have wet lead and dry lead but I mean now it's been turned around where if you're a wet lead pub mainly you really have to bring in the dry now to try and keep the tools rolling over because otherwise you're not going to struggle and quiet periods when it's dry January if you're not offering any food and it's your own pub and you're an independent, then you're really in stock. And it would be a shame because then you have like your, your older sort of, you know, your East End locals, they could lose a boozer that is their only local boozer that's left as as they used to. And then they've got to try and go in and they're, they're sitting with, you know, and I could, I could imagine, as Ali said, I can imagine the, the top lips curling and the growls, like, look at all this, like, and they're bringing in their five kids and top, we don't know who else, and the kids are running around the pub, and, and it's for all the boys coming in, they want to do a bit of betting and have a little bit of a laugh, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, oh, you've been to his pub. Anyway, yeah. uh, <laughs> Ali, um, I mean, what do you think? What is, is there a future for the community pub? It's not championed enough and you know it's something I talk about a lot on my tours is that you know if you look at the way economically uh, the next sort of few years have been mapped out by by the great and the good these cuts are only going to increase uh, whether that's community centres or places like the Derby and Joan closing and the pub's going to have even more important pastoral role in society especially for those hard to reach people who aren't sort of linked up with with age uk or other bodies or technology even and i think you know what needs to happen is there needs to be more regulation there needs to be more protection more preservation and there needs to be more government intervention because otherwise you know you look at the numbers which are being projected in, in hospitality and it's just frightening uh, and it has a role it's a crucial role it doesn't really have anything else I call them palaces of the people you know this city it's just a farce we're always banging on about the tourist pound and the palaces of Westminster lords and ladies but the real stories about London the real sort of um, ebb and flow transient life people making relationships living life telling stories making personal history always begin in public houses and there's no other more important arena in the UK Absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Well, I thank you very much for that, guys. Emma, thank you very much. Ali, thank you. For those that are looking for a sense of what we're in danger of losing, Ali generally does do an excellent tour of pubs across London, and I heartily recommend booking one of them with the London Pub Explorer. That's now a tenner, you owe me, Ali, okay? I will remember you in my will, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't sound vaguely threatening in the slightest. Thank you very much. Oh, no, you're in for about 50 quid. <laughs> Brilliant, guys. Thank you. Speak to you soon.
This is the Lock In Podcast with myself, Ed Beddington, Heath Ball and Nikki Thatcher. We're talking about community pubs today and the threat the escalating costs is having on that sector of the pub trade. With us to discuss this is Chris Jowsey, CEO of leading community pub operator, Admiral Tammons. Thanks for joining us, Chris. No problem at all, Ed. Nice to see you. You happy too, New Year. Yeah, well, happy New Year. Yeah, there's still that time of year just about, isn't it? You shake your head, Nikki. Have you given up on the Happy New Year's already? Yeah, we're at like halfway through. I'm done. I was done by about the fifth. Jesus, That's it. you no sound more like New Year. <laughs> have, you actually, have you actually asked anyone if they had a good Christmas? No. You don't even do that? No, because like a week ago by New Year's Day, so we're done. You are miserable. Yeah, clearly, clearly empathy's your strong point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Funny you should say that, Yeah, Chris. you'd have to work with it. Uh, right, moving on. <laughs> so we're talking about community pubs. Um, I mean, Chris, from your point of view, I mean, you're one of the biggest uh, operators of community pubs in the country, it's fair to say. Um, I mean, what do you see as, as their role in society and the trade as well? How do you see that? I think... I think from a from a society point of view, I mean, I think they've got a critical role. Um, depends, obviously, where they're located, but in many places, they're they're the, the sort of the, the last remaining social asset, in my view, in, in a community. Uh, the one place where people can gather together, come together, you know, celebrate things, um, birthdays, and all that kind of stuff, or mm-hmm. commiserate, you know, mm-hmm. at the passing of somebody, or or just basically get together for some uh, social time so I think they're really important to communities um, and I think a lot of people kind of you know when they've got the choice they like to choose to live near a really good community pub because they know that that will bring everybody around them together mm. so yeah critical role in that sense um, but within the trade I mean we, 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 we probably talked about this in the past but you know commun- community pub became almost a derogatory term in some respects didn't it as we went to chase the, the shiny and the new and the, and the bigger and the better and all the rest of it and, and they became sort of you know the spin sawdust for, and, and the byword for, for what wasn't good I mean how do you think is that still the case has it changed how do we view community pubs as an industry now I, I think we have realised the power of community um, for pubs so if you think about the way it resonated with um, with the politicians and everybody else during the pandemic, then actually it was the power of pubs and their ability to kind of bring people together that that really resonated um, with people who wanted to rebuild after the COVID pandemic. So I think um, community pubs are really important and they, they cater for everybody. You know, the, the shiny stuff is brilliant if you're... 22 years old and you've got you know a lot of disposable income because your mum and dad are paying for everything um, there's no doubt about <laughs> says, that says the man with the children of that age I suspect exactly <laughs> having had four of them yeah it's, it's a nightmare uh, and I'm now looking forward to getting back into those shiny places occasionally but I think the the community pub is there for everyone um, and actually do you know what many of the standards in community pubs now are, are much higher mm. than many sort of um, operations that I see on, on city centres they have to work harder for their footfall, I think. Um, you have to go to a community pub with a purpose, whereas you can be wandering down a city high street and call in somewhere. So, so I think they have to work really hard. And their, and their hospitality, you know, good old-fashioned caring for others, is, is second to none in many cases and, and sets the benchmark. Um, we've just reopened a pub in, in, on the outskirts of Stoke, for example, doing hundreds of cocktails on a Friday night I mean you would never have supposed that that's what a community pub was all about and interestingly more than half of ours are now run by women and actually I think that changes their dynamic quite considerably in many cases so 
I've said this to you before, I don't think men or women necessarily are better than the other mm. at running pubs, but it does change some of the dynamic. And a lot of those women who are very entrepreneurial, but also care about what's going on in their community um, and the people in that community, I think that makes a huge difference to the value of community pubs and, mm. and what they offer. Mm. I mean, often it's, it's, it's a husband and wife team as well, isn't it? So I suppose that, that brings often, both, yeah. both those elements to it. I mean, in terms yeah. of the, the, the sort of pressures at the moment, what, what are your operators seeing? What, what's, what's challenging them? What's impacting on them at the moment? Well, I think, I think it's, it's, it's well known that the cost base is a major problem. I think, it, interestingly, the, the emphasis is slightly different, I think, between sort of high street and community. Um, so I think there's less of a challenge in community around uh, recruitment of people uh, and paying and paying salaries because it tends to be the couple who run the pub, often with help from family and friends. Mm. Um, so I think those labour challenges, which are very evident on the high street, are, are less so in some community pubs, perhaps mm. depending on geography as well. Yeah. Um, but things like energy are the real killer. You know, energy is a massive issue. And as you know, we've been banging on about this for the best part of nine months now plus. Um, it should be getting better. You know, energy pricing is coming down in the market. We're just not seeing the behavior from the energy wholesalers that will, that will allow pubs to sort of fight back and, and do well on the back of it. But that's got to come. And I think the work of the uh, UK Hospitality and British Beer and Pub Association and anybody else who gets involved is critical in that. We've got to make sure that those energy suppliers uh, are looking after their customers rather than just trying to make as much money out of them in as short a time as possible. Mm. Um, so energy is a big challenge right now. Um, we are seeing uh, a number of people who are unwilling to commit to a new five-year deal with us. Right. Um, not that they want to leave. They want to stay in the pub. They want to keep running the pub. Um, but they're so uncertain about the future, you know, they are wary of committing right now to a new five-year deal. I get that. Mm. tend to stay on a short-term deal. Um, we've got more closed pubs than we've had for the last probably five years. Um, again, it's not a runaway number by any means, so it's not the end of the world, but that number has certainly gone up, and it's harder to recruit for those pubs that are closed currently, mm. um, which is a real shame. Um so I think the, the cost pressures are evident. And from a consumer point of view, obviously, people are feeling it in their pocket, aren't they? Because they haven't got the disposable income they had before. So we see, you know, for us, sort of Thursday, Friday are still really big. Uh, Monday and Tuesday are definitely quieter than they have been for a very long time. Um, and obviously, you've got to keep giving people a reason to go out um, if you do want them to part with, their, with what's left of their disposable income. So we're having to work harder to get people through the door. Uh, um, and they're only willing to come out, I think, probably Thursday, Friday, primarily, uh, Friday, Saturday, primarily. Um, and perhaps they don't go out just as frequently. Right. So that's that's the challenge. I mean, in, in terms of sort of that, that, I mean, one of the things we've been talking about is that, that the rising cost of, of, of the price of a pint, which the benchmark lots of people use. That so that yeah. that, that sort of uh, old school kind of thing of somebody you know, Dave, old Dave, has got ten pounds in his pocket. Previously, he'd come and he'd got three or four pints of that. Now he's down to two. It's getting to the point where it's it's becoming less viable. He's, he's how, how do you deal with that? Because I mean, that's that's their only point of social contact at times. Um, if they're having to limit that, that's 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 a real problem, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think I think 
in most of the communities we trade in, to be fair, the, the number is near a four quid a pint rather than five. Mm. You've obviously been in London for a long time. <laughs> um, where it seems to be getting nearer to seven. Uh, to well, be honest, yeah, but, uh, yeah. So I think I think we're still sort of just below four on average um, for a typical pint of, of ale or lager. Um, but you're right, it's still a challenge because that would have been you know three pounds thirty probably a year ago. Yeah. Um, so it does impact. I think. A lot of our licensees are doing things like, um, you know, they're having on their quieter sessions, they're having uh, times when they bring the community in just for a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. Um, no obligation to spend a lot of money, just come in and stay warm. Yeah. Um, and I think that helps the pub as well because it, it maintains its relevance in that community. Yeah. Um, and it maintains those social networks that otherwise would, uh, would wither away. So it's definitely... There's all sorts of things going on that people are doing right now um, in order to kind of keep footfall. But maybe the spend isn't as high as it was with the, pre- yeah. with the footfall previously. And, and I guess, I mean, this all comes down to now, I suppose, and this is a sort of serious question. One of the things we're exploring this podcast is, you know, can community pubs remain viable as profit-making businesses? Um, yeah. Or should we be looking at them on a more charitable sort of basis of, of uh, you know, they're there to serve a purpose in the community, so therefore, you know, profit isn't there. They should primary. be like a public school, a private school in this country. They pay no VAT. <laughs> Charity, that would be genius. You've been quiet for too long there, Heath. I wonder, about, wonder what you're yeah. going to come up with. Um, but yeah, I mean, is, is it, do you, can they be profitable? Can I, I know your business obviously is relying on them being profitable, but is, is it getting to a point where we, we have to reconsider that, that, that position of the business? No, I don't, I don't think it does. I mean, it, on an individual basis, some pubs become non-viable, without a doubt. Um, you know, and unfortunately, we have to sell pubs every year that have kind of reached the end of their road um, because there just isn't the the market around them or the ability to invest in that pub uh, and get a return. So some some will go out of business, no doubt. Um, will that accelerate over the next 12 months? Almost certainly. Um, however, I still think you know there's a good you know hopefully near a 40,000 pubs that will continue to trade and trade profitably. Um, one of the things I'm quite exercised about at the minute is, um, you know, how, how could we develop new income streams? So if, if the traditional income streams are getting harder and harder, or are going to be hard for a year or so during recession, then what could licensees do with their pubs and their premises and their time uh, to bring in some different kind of income? Um, now ours, are, as you know, are mainly wet-led, so it's not about necessarily doing food, although some can do that. Um, and it is about making the most of those food opportunities if they are there. So it's it's delivery as well as in-house and all the rest of it. Um, but I think one of the things we, we want to look at is how do we generate new income streams, either for the pub or for the licensee, or ideally for both. Um, and I think that will involve us talking to lots of other organizations and different people who are looking for um, either space to do things in uh, or looking for labor to do things with. Um, to try and make those things happen and that that I think would sustain pubs and licensees during a difficult time because I do think they'll come back strongly post the recession um, if you think about how resilient our community pubs have been over the last 20 years you know we've had the crash we've had the pandemic we've had all sorts of things going on but they keep bouncing back as soon as we're able to and, and there's money around you know those community pubs bounce back really really strongly so it's a case of getting through the tough times, uh, being a bit more imaginative and a bit more entrepreneurial probably to get through them, 
and then come back fighting when we're, we're in a better position absolutely brilliant okay Chris I'm afraid we are out of time on that but thank you very much for that You're listening to the Lock In Podcast, and we're talking about pubs, unsurprisingly. Uh, Community pubs, even, to be more precise, and how their vital role in our society is being damaged by the escalating price rises. I'm delighted to welcome Steve Alton, CEO of the BII, who's joining us to discuss this issue. So, thanks for joining us, Steve. My pleasure, Ed. Now, Steve, I mean, you've been pushing the concept of, of pubs providing a broad range of services with your More Than a Pub campaign. So I guess with, with the threatened escalation of costs and people talking about the price of pints heading into double figures, are we in danger of these places not even being pubs in the first place because no one can afford the beer? I, well, I, th- I think we're in fear of losing some pubs. It's, it's, it's never been tougher, let's be brutal, I think, to run... Um, a traditional community pub and, and even looking at the, the numbers for Christmas it was a very mixed picture you know, some traded very very well and that, that was great to see but we'll come back to that because revenue does not now equal profit and, and we need to educate government on that particularly when looking at things like GDP mm. as you saw you know, without our contribution we'd have been going backwards and we would have technically gone to a recession but that revenue growth you know, it doesn't go straight to the bottom line anyway. So, so, so you know, a number did pretty well. A number were it was quite uh, catastrophic. Is probably the only way of describing it. With the rail strikes, particularly mm-hmm. taking out whole weeks of Christmas trading that that didn't just roll forward. So, you know, that, that that's lost trading for a third year in a row. So, it's really tough. And as you say, you know, twenty percent inflation is is a reality for pubs. It's not it's it's not ten. It's been compounding up since summer. Mm. Um, and then on top of that, you know, energy is the absolute pub killer. There is no doubt. And, and it's the roll of the dice if you got into a long-term fixed contract. Some of the larger groups and multiples maybe were more progressive with that than some of the single operators. Um, but some are in and some are out. And those that, that unfortunately fell out of contract um, during the year have been subject to what can only be described as profiteering by the suppliers. And, mm. uh, you know, we are shouting at government and, and in Ofgem to try and see some fair and reasonable dealing in that space because right now uh, it was a sort of Damocles over these operators' heads. They had no choice. You, know, you sign the long-term contract with something that's three to four times what you paid previously mm-hmm. or you took the risk of rolling and quite frankly the price you out of even having that decision. Yeah. So there's real market abuse that's gone on uh, and that is enough, you know, I fear, to push some of these pubs to seriously consider is this worthwhile going forward? Because mm-hmm. is this issue genuinely going to stabilise? And the wholesale price that you're seeing has, has gone back to pre, you know, pre-war levels. You know, so there is no excuse for the level of profiteering that's gone on and things like standing charges and all, and all that stuff. So overall, your, your question was, you know, are we going to lose these places? Um, we've got a very serious threat to them. Yes, and I don't think it's ever been more serious, even through the pandemic. I think mm-hmm. we're in a more difficult position now, particularly in these these few weeks after Christmas trading when you're consolidating your numbers and looking ahead and they need that certainty so we've got the some wins you know business rates is a um, you know is it, progressive for the next 12 months we've got to find out what's going to happen after that um, but outside of that the energy support rug has just been pulled mm. by government uh, meaning there's next to little support if you actually do the calculations mm. it's minimal absolutely minimal so we, we need some rapid intervention to, to you know shore these businesses up because you're right look these are community spaces that's yeah. that's that's where government have to look at as a sector specific you know where else do they have the social footprint 
that our trade provides in every single community, never mind jobs and taxation on top of that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll continue to fight hard under not just the pub, but it's going to be a real slog because right now I think we're, we're going to have to start that that um, that campaign again, in a sense, to convince them of the vulnerability of our sector because right now it appears that they've, well, I fear that they've, they've moved on to other issues. I mean, I, 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 Without that, are we viable? I mean, do you think that? I mean, we, we, we've had this conversation with with Chris Chowsey at, at Emerald as well. You know, are are these businesses? I mean, we 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 talk about businesses. They've got to be profitable. They've got to make money. But are we at a point, a tipping point, with with those community pubs where we have to consider, you know, the the, the role of them? Do they do they run as profitable businesses, or do they run as as charitable concerns to serve those communities? I don't think there's any reason why they cannot be profitable businesses. I mean, you, you know, you have to move with the times. You've got to evolve the business model, even if you're, you know, a wet-led or, or a drinks-led community pub. You know, I'm, I'm out with uh, my local MP this the end of this week, with, and I'm exactly going to that model. It's a stand-up, predominant um, drinks-led venue. Um, you know, probably under ten thousand pounds a week in terms of revenues. Uh, and makes a you know a decent living from that, but that's with real control over costs. That luckily they are in a fixed term energy contract going forward as well. But that that's really you know attending to every single cost line and being a very very lean operator. So it can, it can work. You don't have to be you know a hugely diversified gastro high turnover kind of venue. In in fact, when you're in the middle pack, as you know. The costs that come on board with that, when you're running kitchens and the, the, the you know, ongoing staffing issue that we've got, and the energy associated with running uh, large operations, uh, means there's tipping points not just at the low end. I think there is through the whole spectrum. So, so look, I, th- I think what, whatever you do, you're going to have to execute very, very well. I don't think we're at end game as you've described. I don't think we need to suddenly start to create charitable foundations to provide pubs in, in locations but we do need consumers to be confident and keep coming out and you know you, you, you made a comment there about are we are we pricing our consumers out i think smart operators are incredibly you know um you know acutely aware of of, of what consumer pricing looks like because it's a downward spiral pretty rapidly you, yeah. you go the wrong side of the line you know not know your customers um, and, and you know you, you won't have to worry about the back end of the, of the business in terms of cost base. You'll have no revenue. So the issue is that most of, of our members who really tackled this had to take that hit. So what they've done is just reduce their overall profitability to, to keep the revenues coming in. Well, this is a challenge, isn't it? Because I mean, if you're if you're uh, uh, in operating at a higher level in a you know a more premium space, you've got more flexibility to to, to sort of hide those increases and, and, and flex your price and things like this. I'm looking at you, Heath, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. You know, you you said yourself, you know, you just go big and hopefully the customers will keep spending. If you're in a if you're in that community pub operation, you know, when they've got a fine, your customers have a finite amount of money in their pocket that they're going to spend each week and that's getting eroded and eroded to the point where it's almost the situation where you go well look, I can't even afford to go and buy a pint now it, that's that's a real challenge isn't it yeah, yeah it is but I think you know, an interesting parallel is, is coffee and coffee shops you know, the, you know we will go and use those as a society very freely and we won't probably ask ourselves a huge question about the affordability and some of the, some of the you know the coffees that you're buying there 
exceed the, the cost of a pint. So this yeah. is about you know relative value. And, and where do you want to be? You want to be in a, in a very transactional coffee shop with you know a flow of people. You want to be somewhere where you're buying an experience of connectivity to other people. You're in an environment and all those things. So I think we've got a bit of repositioning to do. But equally, look, the media um, and excluding your very good self here, oh, good, good. Uh, wants, wants to talk about you know 10, 20 pound pints. That's not the reality because nobody would go out. So yeah. there's, you know operators are. Are pretty switched on, but you're right. Look, the larger operators, when they can switch things around, fundamentally change the menus, or change wine lists, or change brands, have the opportunity to, you know, to constantly push that value equation to give you something a bit special, and at the same time, hopefully get a better buy price. And we've got some great operators who've done exactly that. Um, one I spent the other day switched their whole you know, wine list around and actually increased their entry-level wines by £5 a bottle and have seen no discernible drop-off. In fact, they're selling more wine than they did before. But you can't just take a static wine list and put your price increase on. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, it's, 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 it's probably more accessible for the larger, more diverse. I was going to say, if you're a tide, if you're a, a wet lead tide pub, your your options within that are somewhat limited, aren't they? That's, that's the challenge. How much flexibility do you have to to buy, to, to change your range, to, to get a decent price and, and deliver that through? It's it's difficult, isn't it? So maybe we need to be thinking as a. As a the, that model of, of the, the sort of Thai pubs, there's got to be a greater degree of flexibility within those businesses. Yeah, and I think, well, I think there's more flexibility than there probably has ever been mm. in those models because, you know, I think the Thai operators understand that they're going to have to flex that model to attract, you know, and retain great entrepreneurs because they want, particularly in the tenancy space, you want that great, impassioned tenant who feels, you know, yeah, an absolutely integral part of the community in that pub because that's what drives the top line so you need to give them the flexibility I mean look local beer is something I feel very passionate about but you know why would you not want a pub with a you know reflective of its local environment you know I, mean, I live in Derbyshire you know, I seek out my members pubs that have got that great range of local beers and it's and it's a talking point and they know me and they'll say I know you like this one here's another one from up the road you know a couple of brothers open up a new brewery you know that's the theatre that's not the satisfied coffee shop experience that's something a bit different so I think everybody's got the ability to flex the model in, to some degree I, I absolutely accept you know that the, the larger more diversified operators have probably have far more freedom to do that but even at the entry-level community pubs um, you know, we, we have to think differently, aren't we? And, and we're already seeing that with our members who are making real progress. So it isn't all about gastro and big pubs. We know this is not death of wet-led community pubs. No. In fact, you know, it should be the rallying call for them because they are the affordable space. They are the antidote to consumers getting battered with their own costs to, to go somewhere and, again, just have a, a simple and affordable treat in a welcoming place. Absolutely, absolutely. Steve, we are out of time there, and I resisted the obvious pub watch joke when you said the pubs all know you. I'm quite proud of myself for doing that. Um, Jeez. Thank you, straight Ed. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much, Steve. Some good points there. You're listening to the Lock In Podcast. Myself, Ed Bennington, Nikki Thatcher and Heath Ball. We've been discussing the changing roles of community pub operations in this episode. And who better to hear that direct from than some community pub operators themselves. To help us with that, we've got the award-winning Adrian Emmett, operator of the current community pub of the year, The Lion in Triorchy. And also Catherine Bond from the fantastic Dog and Parrot in Eastwood, Northamptonshire, who was also finalist in the Great British Pub Awards as well. So slightly awkward uh, as Adrian, you 
beat Catherine's pub in the last competition. But we'll just gloss over that, shall we? I'm sure she'll beat me in the next one. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we never know, do we, Adrian? <laughs> Let, let's see fingers crossed uh, so thank you for joining us guys um, let's just start off with you know how things are at the moment we're seeing a real sort of price squeeze um, how are you adapting your businesses to, to tackle that challenge um, Catherine do you want to kick us off with that one yeah that's fine um, it's been steady over Christmas I can't really grumble about how, how steady it has been actually so uh, it's been a positive Christmas I don't know whether Adrian's found the same I think people are just sort of you know, we've had, I've locked down for a few years. Let's just go out and have a good Christmas and New Year, I think. And we'll deal with that when it happens. And in terms of that, that sort of rising prices, I mean, are you are you passing those on? I mean, how are you finding things? Have you, uh, what, what are you doing yeah. to handle that? Yeah, we're not passing anything on at the moment. We're just trying to take it um, ourselves, really, at the minute. Um, I don't know what we'll be doing probably in February, March time, but at the moment we're still trying to sort of keep the prices the same, just sort out the customers out more than anything. You know, it's better to have them in than having a couple of three pints instead of only having one and then one for an half You know, so it's better to balance out with three pints than hardly anything really. Mm. Uh, Adrian, what, what's your situation in terms of the, the, the pricing situation? How are you handling it? Well, um, Christmas was good. We, we've worked really hard on the sales. Um, you know, winning the, the award that we did with you guys at the time as well was good um, because it's the lead up to Christmas as well. And we, we, what we've done as well is we've put the pub at the heart of the community, which a good pub, you know, does. Um, and we've done loads of uh, town activity over Christmas. So I, I'm confident then the more people that come to the town, the more they choose my business. Mm. So sales were good over Christmas, um, but it almost seems as if the goalposts have been moved because the, the, the costs are just horrific. So every... Every step forward we've taken with the sales and we've really pushed it forward, you take two steps back with the cost then. Um, and that's coming to January as well. Um, you know, we've really focused on things like the quiz that we're doing and various food promotions. This is bringing the sales in. So we're holding our own compared to last year with January sales. But then, you know, my energy costs have gone from £1,800 up to £5,000. Um, my Biffa bins... Um, bill has gone up my my food bills have gone up because they've all seen um, an increase in what they do as well mm. so it, it's incredibly difficult um and we've tried not to pass it on to the customer we have to do a little bit and then we've done a little tweak on the on the beer prices and a little bit on the food but a fraction of what we are hit, getting hit with um and it's it's well the buck stops with us really because all our 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 suppliers can put their costs up and we haven't got a choice to go elsewhere because they're all putting their prices up. Um, ultimately, it'll be the customer that will get hit unless we do that. So it's that real balance of, for us to be sustainable, what what do we need to do? But also, without footfall, without the customers, we've got nothing. So it's, it's that balance of being a good community pub and not passing everything on. I mean, how sustainable is that? Because ultimately, you know, you are both businesses, you've both got to be viable, you've got to make money, um, you're not doing it for charity. I know you do a lot for charity and you work with the communities and you're, and you're very focused on those communities, but you've still got to feed yourselves. I mean, how, how are you going to balance that? Because you can't hold those prices down forever. 
No, you can't. Um, I think you sort of got to sort of balance your books and know whereabouts you are. And I think it's going to be coming in the next month or two that I'm going to have to put some prices up. I mean, we're a wet lead club. We don't do food apart from snacks, but, you know, your crisps and everything. So we're not governed by food as well. So it's just basically the breweries that we have to deal with and the wholesalers. So um, a lot of them, I mean, we just have a, a big price increase. We don't know where they've been sort of, but we've got the Amaretto. That's just gone up nearly £20 a barrel. Mm. It's not like £5, like most of the casks are going up. You know, beer Moretti has now gone up another £20 by the, by the time you've added your vat on. probably £21 by the time you've sorted it. But aren't, aren't you better off just doing small price increases now and just bringing that in as opposed to going, oh, shit, we need to put these prices up a lot now, and then suddenly it's a bigger shock because... I think you're better off like my personal opinion I think you're better off just giving it slow little nudges all the time because yeah. if you go and yeah. do it in one big go it's going to be a bigger shock for those customers where if it's gone up 5p this week and you know in the next couple of weeks it's in that same cast but I just I'd be very aware like I you know I know what it's like I've got pubs myself and you're always worried about what people are going to do and how they're going to react but fuck you don't want to be in the position where suddenly it's a big change and then you're like it's more stress on you like I'd be just bringing in small changes now constantly yeah yeah. I'd agree with that and that's kind of what we're looking at doing because don't forget in March as well minimum wage goes up yep Um, and I think some of that is all you know I might be wrong here but I think the upper level is about a pound an hour Um, which is crazy you know I I probably you know five four five hundred hours a week um, my hourly paid staff I do so that's four or five hundred pound out of my pocket potentially um, so and the customers you know every time I put the price up in the past where there's a little tweak year a temp year they all say well the beer price haven't gone up yeah but the cost of my sky has gone up and the cost mm-hmm. of my wages have gone up and ultimately it's the bottom line mm-hmm. it's not yeah. what actually goes up it's how we can balance that around so yeah we, we've got to look at these price increases and some of the things that I'm looking at is we're driving the sales even more so you know I'm writing my quiz for this evening whether there's 30 people in the quiz or 130 it's still the same input I'm putting in so it's about getting more people in so if it takes me five six hours to write there you know I'm still putting that um, resources in so if I can get more people in the better when it comes to food instead of looking just to put the price up on my main meals I'm doing a you know a, a more of a Get to spend more money, so sides and, and starters and desserts. You know, if I can get them to get more of that, so instead of you know they're spending more money with me. Mm. Um, so it's not it's about trying to get, give the value, um, but without being just just simply putting the prices up. So it's a balance for me. I mean, it, it, with with the increase and, and and all those increases coming in, I mean, can you can you remain viable as a community? business you know to 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 be that sort of you know um operation that's open to everyone you know without ending up to a point where you're starting to exclude people because of those prices um that certain people can't afford to come to you anymore yeah if, if i jump in yeah it's it's going to be really difficult really difficult um and you know you've got two businesses here they're obviously doing pretty well right if we are going to struggle then there's a raft of other businesses that are maybe on the breadline or that are struggling that this could be the nail in the coffin so if we are struggling um and our businesses are in good shape you know bit by bit you get furniture that breaks and you get you know wear and tear and things that people are just not going to be able to afford to do 
to, to fix. Um, well, you know, it's not investment, I, is it? People aren't investing. Why would no, you invest? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I've worked it out on a 20, 37 and a half hour week. It's an additional two and a half thousand pound per staff member mm. on wages. That's per staff member. Yeah. So you've got to add that thought, and it, you, you've got ten thousand pound on on four staff. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, obviously, your increase in your in your utilities and everything. So how, I mean, what what are you guys going to do then, I guess, to to remain inclusive and, and to ensure that people can still use your services and, and you can still play yeah. that role within the community? What, what are you going to do, Catherine? Yeah. We've, got, we've got a loyalty card that we've just launched this week. Um, at, buy 10 pints, you get a free pint, sort mm. of just to encourage people to come in. Um, and that's going all right. So you know, it's just just trying new things really, and just tweaking things a little bit. Like we do a quiz every fortnight on a Thursday night, and last week it was on, and it was really busy. So people are still wanting to come out of group to mm. see their friends, and you know, you just hope that that continues every every other week on a Thursday night that we know that we've got the quiz. And I've got tables booked already for next week, which is positive. So mm. you know, you just got to keep you just got to keep trying, and, and that's all you can do really. You open your doors, and you just beg and pray that, that you get people walking through your door because you've got no guarantees. Yeah. What about you, Adrian? What are you What are you doing to, to remain as inclusive? I mean. That, I've always, I've always gone off the the premise that um, I'd rather promote myself out of a situation. So if you can increase the sales, almost the, you know, the the issue tends to go away if you can t- if you if you take lots of sales. Um, so that's one aspect that we go into with events. Uh, we launch a new food menu. Um, we keep on pushing our app that gives money back every time people use it. So we really push in what we're doing, and as a town as well, because the more people come into the town, more more people use my business. So we're doing lots that way. And then from a cost point of view, just nailing everything down. Um, you know, and I do a, a cost analysis on like we've pulled the entertainment for January now because I don't think it really matters what you put on if people are not coming up in January they're not coming out and we're relaunching that then in um, pay weekend in January so you know am I going to pay £300 on a band well how many people does it bring in it's worth me doing great I'm going to spend that mm. Wait, but so, so it's not about pulling the cost back sometimes it's about spending more mm. to generate more as well so it's, it's, it's looking at that but wages is a massive one and I'm spending more and more time in the business now to you know maybe you know putting the correct amount of staff so it's not about putting less staff sometimes it's about putting more staff on at the right times um, and if I can reduce my staff on quiet periods it gives me the budget to put them on on the busy periods as well then yeah yeah absolutely yeah, brilliant totally agree with that. yeah definitely I mean we've stopped music in January completely um, the last couple of years we've had it and it's not been worthwhile so I said you know what I'm not going to do it in January mm. and our next actually live is actually our anniversary six year anniversary end of February so we've got we've got music on book for two days. We've got the Saturday and the Sunday for music. Mm-hmm. So we've doubled up at the end of February instead of having something in at the end of January that you're not going to get people through the door. Yeah, yeah. I think so, I guess it's being honest and, and looking at what works and what doesn't. I mean, too many pubs I go into, you, you see they've got live music on and there's no one in there because, and there's a band yeah. playing in the corner and it, it has the opposite effect. It drives people away. So you've got to be realistic about what 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 will work and what won't work. Yeah, it's disheartening for the band as well. Yeah, you know, I've only had a few people in front of you think, well, it's like this, I'm not going to come back again. Yeah, whereas if you've got a full house and you know, like we've got a really good, good crowd, and you know, they're enthusiastic, and that's what bands want or artists want, you don't want to be sat there 
singing to one or two people. Absolutely. Right, guys, well, I'm afraid we are pretty much out of the time, but thank you very much for that. Really appreciate your thoughts. You're listening to the Lock In Podcast. I'm afraid we are at the end of this episode. Uh, we've heard some really interesting things today. Um, so what do we think? Can community pubs continue to play a role in society? Should pubs be even doing that now? So, I mean... What do you mean? Do, well, I mean, they, they can... They, we, is the role of pubs changing? Are we seeing that sort of that shift away from the the social, the uh, pastoral kind of role of pubs of, of looking after their community? So what do you think it's going to... What do you mean? Well, it'll like, end up like your pub, which is like a restaurant. Piss off. <laughs> yeah, I've got three pubs, Edward. Um, no, but I, don't, I, I think... I, I think... I think definitely, the, you know, the... the Society's changing, but I still think there's always a place for a pub. I think I'd like to think that, but yeah, but community pubs. Is but is it? But is it? I mean, I suppose it's the cheaper. It's almost not even the cheaper end. It's it's that kind of pub that, that caters for everyone from you know the the sort of the pension. Yeah, but the windlock's like that. Yeah, the windlock. My windlock arms pub in Old Street like that. It's a proper. But, it, but it's difficult because right? you're in London. You've got yeah. more affluent kind of uh, customer base. So yes, it's inclusive, and you'll have you know all walks of life in there. But I guess you know if you're in right. running a community pub in a in a small village in Derbyshire and you know you've got sort of everyone from the the the, the top but, but, of the hill but maybe to, maybe to the there does there. need to be some sort of tax allowance for that mm. do you know what I mean if you're the only pub in the town so if your income is below a certain threshold you get a discount on your beer or something well no but I'm saying like if you were the only pub in a town and people rely on you maybe there isn't the tax rates less mm. maybe you like I don't know they probably don't pay business rates already but maybe there is some sort of like okay asset of the community in terms of tax mm. do you know yeah. Maybe they needs to be taken into account. I mean, we, we struggle to get them to oh, do anything it, with, you know with, I mean? with tax at the best of times. So, I mean, it's a lovely idea. We have a government that just don't care about the sector. God, it's unforgettable. No, but I'm just you saying. You started that. I, can't, I, 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 I won't go, cars. but I'm just saying it, it's quite, you know, it's quite endearing when you hear, hear them talk about not wanting to put prices up and they don't want to scare people away. But, like, man, like, that makes me nervous because you, that's, suddenly you go to your bank account and there's no money left and you're like, oh, shit, how am I paying rent? You've been sub- you're basically subsidising people's drinking, especially when all the breweries are putting and their prices. Well, up. and you're subsidising the the brewery's price increases. Yeah, as well, exactly. I mean, you're you're taking a hit on behalf of of the breweries. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you can't you can't not put prices up. But but then again, you then get to a point where you go, well, actually, I've put my prices up and I've lost three or four customers. Yeah. Because they can't afford to come you in. You put anymore. the prices quite up. Quite often, they're the most vulnerable of the customers. And what do you they? do when you put the prices up? You give more money to the coffers of the treasury. Mm. That's what happens. So it's just they, they win either way. Probably back to the government. Yeah, 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 but it is. I don't understand how you can not think this is the government's fault. <laughs> I don't I think you can. Like it, it is genuinely. They've got the ability. They could have dropped VAT ten percent. We'd be okay. They're letting these these guys, the energy companies, do whatever they want, and we sit here and go, "Oh no, you tin hat, Heath, you're a tin hat." I'm going, "Hell no!" They're taking the piss. They are, but I don't think they listen to the podcast. You don't think they that. care they listen I don't think they care anyway oh. I don't think three listeners one is list oh, no hang on that <laughs> yeah. but I don't think they care anyway like I think they're, they're trying they're too busy trying to they're distracted with everything else that's going on well, in the country you've got a point there because Steve, Steve Alton was saying earlier you know he's talking about VAT and he said they basically they don't just don't want to hear it no they don't they don't and this is I mean that doesn't mean we, we shouldn't talk about it it doesn't mean we shouldn't push for it but oh. um, 
uh, there's an element of I guess we've got to a point now where we've a VAT in this country is higher than the rest of Europe we're in it on our own as you've said many times before yeah. we've got to deal with it so how do we deal with it how do yeah, but we this is the, this is the problem Ed, the, the way we can't deal with no, it no this is the problem this is what we've got because we've got a lot of smart operators in the trade and we're like you sit there and you go well what's the way out of this when your energy bill is so high yeah. that you just can't how do, how do you pass that on you go okay sorry guys I was paying 1600 a month I'm paying 8.5 grand now how do I give that how do I okay I'll get some government support which is going to be what 2 pence a unit next but how do you pass that on and it's like well, I think um, Joe Cousins from Bath Pub Company put oh it's going to be £12.53 a pint to pass those costs on mm-hmm. so how do you do that like mm-hmm. without being without losing customers and then suddenly you have no revenue no, well, you can't, and that's a problem, isn't it? I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's a mess. It's an impossible, it's an impossible situation. You know, um, we, some of us, like myself, took contracts we had to get in energy, t- signed up the contracts were crazy, but you needed to get discount, and then the government go, oh, well, actually, the discount's finishing, or you get two pence per unit. It's, it's, it's not, it's not. My, my problem with it is we're, we're not being treated fairly, and we don't have an even playing field, and you can't, we can't recover from the pandemic. The pandemic's still bloody, it's there. We're still dealing with the, you know, the hangover of that. China's still dealing with it, and we're sitting here getting battered. And you sit there and you go. So I mean, essentially, then the, the, these pubs aren't viable. Then that's what you're saying. I think no business hospitality business in this country is viable right now. I generally mean that because I think there'll be a point where even if you've got like big, big people behind you, big companies, there's going to be a point where they're cutting D and D, shutting sites. You know what I mean? People are looking at their businesses and it's going, well, hold on. You can't, no one, like the guy said, you, you're not looking at refurbing, you're not looking at investing. Mm. Everyone's like panicking. So I don't think the trade, the hospitality sector in this country, it's not investable. I'd never invest into it, like if I was coming from abroad. Aren't you looking for a new sign? Yeah, I'm always looking, but that's, that's a different thing. <laughs> but I think that's the problem. I don't think we're, we're attractive right now. And I think, you know, we're, we're going to struggle. I uh, I mean, you're right. In the short term, I think it's pretty grim. I think long term, it's a different picture. I think so, what are we waiting? Long term, we're talking about a change of parliament, a change of government, and are we going to be better under a Labour government? They've never been pro-business, and these guys are supposed to be pro-business, and all they're doing is destroying us, taxing us to hell. I was thinking more on the, uh, the sort of macro things that are going on around changing, you know, war in Ukraine, you've got the energy, you know, it, hopefully some of these pressures will inflation. subside, inflation will come down, um, you know. Will Government's it, not um, doing anything to help it, though. They say they are, and they talk a good, like, well, they, I say they don't even talk a good game, they just talk. But they're not actually really... No, they, they could push you do maths till you're 18. That's mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But all this is just a distraction. And that's what frustrates me. It's all, look over here, look over here, look over here. And you, they, get, they get people angry and they press talk about it. Like, oh, 18. You should just go, no, stop. We want answers on this. You know, who's the, who's the, the ex-chancellor? What's his name? Who's now the health minister, whatever he is now, who's had got an HMRC audit and he owes 7 million. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, what is this madness? The, um, I mean, at least they've got Prince Harry to distract. Uh, yeah, but this is great for them. This is great. They just keep rolling that out. That, that's just ridiculous. Love Island has started as well. Yeah. That's going to keep everyone quiet. Not for a bit again. As well. it's, uh, this These is are your favourite topics. Like no, Prince Harry, just, you love talking love, about Prince Harry. Love Island's just, it's just brain rot. And it's not good for the kids who are growing up and watching television and watching that shit. But I remember the last few series, pubs have been screening it in like a World Cup this, style it, thing. Almost, and so people come out of their house to watch Love Island in the it's pub. Not and healthy. That's it's not healthy. As a father of two young girls, I don't want them watching that shit and thinking that's what dating is like and going out with guys of beefcake 
critics who aren't that intelligent and going on TV and making a few million quid and then releasing a clothing line and doing some lips and getting makeup and all that and then you know a lot about some of the Love Island because I see I just see how how it's fucking us all up and I just I just don't want my children growing up in a society where girls have to be dumb and pretty do you know so what I mean basically what we're saying is the Ren Lion and Sun will be a Love Island free you're not going to be showing what, it listen I don't play sports here 100% <laughs> if I put on Love Island in the pub get me committed because hmm. I've obviously lost my shit I mean it would be uh I, I've lost my shit today. I've actually had a pint, half a pint of lager. You are drinking half a pint of lager. Ugh, it's it's so sweet. How do you guys drink lager? <laughs> I'll just stick to Guinness. And on that note, uh, let's uh, let's move things on. So um, that is all from us uh, for this episode. We will be back in a couple of weeks to waffle some more about pubs. Heath will have his tinfoil hat. I'm sure he will talk about the government. Maybe he won't. You know, they don't him care. It. it wouldn't matter. <laughs> But until then, feel free to subscribe or unsubscribe. Uh, tell your friends and share on social. You can listen to all episodes of the podcast online, although maybe not the first ones because they were pretty shit. And feel free to let us... <laughs> you had like the worst, the worst mic system in the world. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he, he hadn't hit his stride at that point. He hadn't got into his full rants about the government. Um, but yes, please do. And feel free to let us know your thoughts. We will be back soon. We will see you then.